You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Colossians chapter 1, 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So when it comes to sweeping summaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you almost can't get more succinct and yet more meaningful than this passage right here this morning. Paul, again, to to ground this church in what is most important for them, placards before them the grand realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for those who are his. This can't be painted too largely. Like this can't be made too big. We can't use too bright of colors to talk about this reality of the gospel. This is the flagship and the foundation of all that we know and all that we do as Christians. This is the truth that we live and breathe in. But there can be a real danger to this also. This is Every Sunday, what I get on and get up here and want to talk about is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over and over again, and I take comfort that when Paul has a chance to address this church that has lots of issues they should be be facing, lots of false teaching that's coming in that they should uh, guard against, where does he start? What does he placard first and foremost? Here's who you are. Here's what Jesus is and what he has done, and here's what that means. And so that's what he does, but there can be a, a bit of danger in this. We must fight the tendency to have our eyes glaze over when discussing these types of grand realities. It's like living next to the Grand Canyon. Like, I like to take vacations to go somewhere where you have landscape that's not like what you have here in Iowa, like go see the ocean or go see the mountains, or just go live by a big body of water, which we have nice ponds here, but you know, we don't, unless you go, we don't, you know, to go to a nice big lake somewhere. You know, we, we have these sceneries we like to go see because it's, you want to go live by something that kind of gives you pause when you see it. But you can almost imagine, and if you talk to people who live by the ocean or live by the mountains, eventually they just kind of become used to them. It's like not realizing how beautiful rolling green hills are because we see them every day all the time. Family comes back from Arizona and they look and they say, oh, it's just so green and beautiful. And you're like, this? Iowa? I see this every day. And and yes, because you see it all the time, you almost, almost become numb to it. You don't see it for what, how beautiful it really is. 
So that's a danger with the, the gospel, with, with this message that we are placarding everywhere. We preach Christ and him crucified. So as I was thinking on this text this week, walking around, I became quite convicted because there's this difficulty that when you do regular public speaking, preaching, that you have to continually try to, to win over your listener's attention by some sort of new idea or new, new amazing uh, contribution to something, something that really uh, you know, draws you know, some revelatory idea. And you have to try to constantly win the listeners over in, in new and interesting ways. And that's not all bad. I do have a responsibility to try to be at least a moderately interesting communicator. So I do have that obligation. But that isn't all bad. But as I was thinking about this text, I realized what isn't needed is not just some unique spin from me on this text. What this text, all this text really needs, and really whenever you come to any text in the Bible, what it needs is not unique spin to make it interesting. It just needs to be as clear as possible because it can't get any more amazing and astonishing than it is when you really see it for what it is. When you really see this text for what it means, when you put it on clear and full display, that's all that it really needs. It speaks for itself. It does the work it has been sent to do. And I, I realized this because this week I got kind of lulled to sleep by the ramifications, implications of the gospel. Um, it is very easy, and I, I assume most of you know this, it's, it's very easy to let the difficulties, the, the disappointments, to let the discouragements of life just drag you down. They begin to eventually pile up on you and, and weigh you down and they take up your headspace and they begin to be the things you constantly roll around and think about. And so this is true for me that as I was walking around this week, I'm dealing with a lot of personal worry and upset and I would, I would argue sinful worry and sinful upset, but the reality is there is this, this wrestle going on inside of me. And then I'm trying to think on this text. And so I've got, and, and I got personal worry and upset. And then I'd be, no, Darren, think about the gospel in this text. And then a few minutes later, I'd be back over here, my personal worries, and I'd try to, you know, clear, no, that's not what we're, think about the gospel and, and this text. And, and maybe a couple of times I had to do that. Maybe a couple of days I had to do that. I won't say which it was. When it finally hit me, why was I keeping these things in two different categories? <laughs> why was I keeping my personal worry and, and struggle and upset and, and just difficulties in a separate category from the gospel? That's not the way they're meant to be held. That is not, there is not this distinction between, oh, here's the real things of my life that are going on, and then there's the Christian part of my life that's going on, and I got to not think about my life and think about the Christian. That's not the reality of the Christian gospel. There's, with a message as big as the gospel, there is no area of your life that is not touched and changed by it. With a message as big as the gospel, there is no area of your life that is not touched and changed by it. I was treating, and we have a tendency to treat our worry and upset as issues separate from the gospel, compartmentalizing our lives. 
Now, Paul, I think, gets at this when he says here at the end, the end of the, what we read this morning, verse 23, talking about this reality of being in the faith. It's something you are to be stable and steadfast in, not shifting from. Like you're not to oscillate, like, you know, the fan, the oscillating. You're not to shift back and forth from, oh, I think about the gospel, and then I think about other things in my life. And then, oh, on Sunday morning, I think about Jesus, and then, then I go back and think about my life. And then, you know, and, and going back and forth, shifting from Christian gospel to my life and real issues. And, oh, yeah, there's this Jesus thing, and then there's all the rest of my life. We're not to be shifting back and forth. Paul's message of the gospel is one that we are to be stable and steadfast in grasping hold of, not shifting from one opinion to the other, not shifting from one delight to then a different delight. Okay, Sunday morning, I'm going to delight in Jesus, and then I'll have my quiet time, and in that moment, I'll, I'll delight in God, but then I got the rest of the day to delight in the other things that I want to delight myself in. It's not planting our feet firmly on Jesus in one moment and then seeking to plant them firmly in the world. The Christian gospel is a comprehensive, all-consuming gospel. When someone comes to Christ as their Lord and Savior, they come to Christ alone. Christ alone. There is no other for them. There is no other hope. There is no other dream. There is no other satisfaction. There is no other delight. It is Christ, and it is Christ alone. With a message as big as the gospel, there is no area of your life that is not touched and changed by it. And now you might hear that and think, well, Darren, there's no other delight. When, when a person comes to Christ, there's no other hope, no other dream, no other satisfaction, no other delight than Christ. Well, I want my life to be about so much more. That sounds like it can. We can put that in our mind as though we're somehow getting a terrible deal because there's all these things that I want to seek after. It would be a terrible deal. It would be a terrible deal if what we received in Christ didn't far outweigh all other hopes, dreams, satisfactions, and delights. But listen to what the gospel gives to us. Listen to what is found there. So as I'm walking around, I just, I have this realization, just, I just have those gut moments where you're like, you kind of just boil, all, boil it all down to a few realities. And, and it really, I just wanted, to, I want to feel safe and okay. I mean, my big hopes and dreams in life for my family, for what's going on in my circumstances and ministry and professionally and vocationally and all these things, I just want to feel safe. I just want to feel like things are going to be Okay. I just want to feel clean, you know, like that, that I'm not totally messing everything up and doing the wrong thing all the time. I want to feel clean. I want to feel okay. I want to feel whole, like my life has something to it. I want to feel complete. And as I talk to people and as I observe people, I think that's a fairly universal reality. We want to feel safe. We want to feel like everything's going to be okay. We want to feel clean. We want to feel whole. And the trouble comes in our lives when we put the expectations of feeling safe, okay, clean, and whole on the things of this world and the moments of this life. The things of this world are not meant to carry that kind of weight. We want the things of this world to make us feel safe. So we, 
we invest our money in certain ways or we make sure we make certain allowances and we make sure we get our checkups, which are good. I'm not saying don't do those things. But we do all these things because we think that in this world we're going to give ourselves senses of safety and security. And it doesn't take long or to talk to very many people to find those who have set up every security only to find it wiped away in an instant. Placing our sense of safety in the things of this world, our sense of comfort in the things of this world, this, this need to feel clean and whole on the things of this world in the moments of this life, they are not meant to carry that kind of weight. No matter how safe you may able to be, you may be able to make the world around you, danger always finds its way in. And if the coronavirus, if COVID-19, if SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it, if that hasn't proved itself to you by now, then you're, you're really missing out on what one of the main things this is communicating to us. All of the securities, comforts, and things we can place in, around our life can disappear in a moment. They're just gone by a microscopic virus that works its way and we have no real way to defend against. Everything comes crumbling down. So much worry in this life comes from trying to grasp onto things that God hasn't designed to carry our happiness and our security. There is a real separation, a disconnection, a severing that we feel as humankind. There's this real lostness in trying to find purpose, trying to find belonging, and trying to live what is considered right living by whatever definition that we might make up. Paul's no fool when he realizes this, when he addresses this. It's what he lays out in verse 21. Look at it. He says, And you who once were alienated, you had no belonging, you didn't, you didn't belong, lost, you who are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. These are the realities he lays out in verse 21. We all, as mankind in our natural state, we find ourselves alienated from God. We are hostile towards him. We are working acts of unrighteousness, not righteousness. We are committing evil deeds. That being the truth, is it any wonder that we feel so lost and have such a struggle? We were made for God, we were made to love God, and we were made to do His will. And then sin breaks into the world through our first parents, our federal head, Adam. Sin breaks into the world, and through their transgression, we are all, without excuse, not not belonging to God, but seeking to belong to ourselves. Not loving God, but loving ourselves primarily. Not putting God first, but putting self or other idols first. And we are at war with God. That is in itself an act of hostility towards God. It is hating Him and seeking to prove Him wrong. That is our natural state. When God is the creator, owns it all, and rules it all, and we seek to live as though we own it all and we rule it all, that is an act of aggression towards the monarch. <laughs> that is enmity, war, hatred with the God who rules over it all. So I know we hear that and we think skeptical. I don't. I'm not that bad. I, I love God. But when you compartmentalize the sovereign creator of the universe and you say, God, you get this corner of my life. You know, I, I'm not that bad. 
I give God all kinds of space in my life. I, here's all the times that I've set aside for Jesus. You know, he's got this, this area of my life. But as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch, not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is the sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He has, that's what the whole beginning of Colossians has been about. Who is there? Who has created all things? For whom were all things created? Who was there at the beginning? Who made all things? Who do all things belong to? Who holds all things together? Christ is supreme. There is nothing in this world over which he can't say, that is mine. And so when we say, yeah, Jesus, I'll give you this section of my life, but this is, this is mine, that is that is enmity, that is hatred, that is rebellion against him. There is nothing that is truly yours. As Job says, naked I came into the world, naked shall I depart. That's our reality. And so when we live like everything is ours and that we own it all, we are acting out of a very real hatred to the one who truly does own it all. There's no wonder that we wrestle with these feelings of helplessness, feeling endangered, feeling unsafe, anxieties, feeling lost, feeling unclean, feeling unable. There's no mystery why we feel these ways. We are. That is who we are. We are sep alienated, separated from God. We are doing evil deeds. We are hostile at enmity towards him. That is the reality of our existence as fallen creatures. But there is something that has been done. Now that's not just, now remember, this isn't, don't be accusing Darren of just liking to beat up on you on a Sunday morning. That's what the text says, all right? So get mad at Paul in your Bible if you want to. The text says, you who once, these are, these are now Christians, but he's saying you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, something has been done. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. And this is something done not just on some worldly temporal level. This is where I want us to raise our sights a little bit. Instead of placing our security and our hopes and our dreams in the things of this world, Paul's going to lift your eyes a little bit. Where should you be looking for your hopes and your securities? You, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. God the Son, Jesus Christ, has put on flesh, has reconciled us by his body through his death. Earlier, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christ lives the righteous life we should have lived, dies the death that we deserve so that everyone confessing their sins, coming in repentance, trusting in Christ, looking to him, forgiven, reconciled, made righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. God as a good God of justice cannot just pretend as though our sin and transgression doesn't exist. He cannot just pretend verse 21 isn't there, that we were hostile. 
at enmity towards him, alienated, doing evil deeds. He can't just pretend like that doesn't exist. It does. He's a God of justice, and we all want justice. Look at our world today and the cries of justice. There's a sense in which that really is part of the Imago Dei who's saying things should be just. We all want justice. The trouble comes, justice for us as sinners is not a good thing. It means we would get God's wrath, God's punishment, an eternal punishment for a transgression against an eternal God. We all want justice, and that's because we want it as made in the image of God. God is a God who is just. He will do justice. So he cannot just wipe this away or forget about it. Instead, Jesus puts on flesh to justly take the sin of sinners upon himself as our substitute. But not only does he take our sin, he also fulfills righteousness. That's what verse 22 is talking about. And he, he takes, on, in his body of the flesh, he takes death upon his flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Those three terms, holy, blameless, above reproach, no one able to bring an accusation? How can we go? I mean, this is where, this is where the struggle is. Uh, really, all that needs to happen is that text needs to be clear to you. You don't need me to make some fancy analogy or illustration for this. This is just needs to be clear. You were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and somehow before the throne of the righteous judge of the universe, you can be found... Holy, perfect, blameless, above reproach. How is, there's no way that's possible. I know me too well. <laughs> How could I ever stand before the cosmic judge of the universe and have the proclamation, I find no fault in you. I have no wrong, I have no ill will towards you. There is no hostility between you and me. And you think, have you seen my life? Uh, yeah, there's been all sorts of host there's been all sorts of disobedience, disobedience, been all sorts of hostility. How can there be holiness, blamelessness? How can I be above reproach? All of that before the cosmic throne of God. There's no more important judgment place than that. There is no more important judgment place than that. If you're good there before the throne of God, what smaller throne of judgment could matter? If that one, the one that dwells in unapproachable light, the creator of it all, the just and holy one, if you are blameless, above reproach, holy at that throne, what other judgment matters at these levels down here? Do you want to feel safe there it is on a cosmic scale, on the biggest scale you can imagine. Actually, I would say a scale bigger than you can imagine. There is safety. There is security. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Do you want to feel clean? There it is to the greatest degree. Do you long to just be able to exhale knowing that ultimately things are okay? Just want to be able to Leave it and know that things are okay. Anybody else ever just have that gut desire? If you can have it there before the throne of God, 
what could take that away? Where else would you look for it if you have it there? Do you long to be able to just exhale? Well, there is our anchor, not some flimsy security that we can line up in our circumstances today. If I get these five things going in my life, everyone's healthy, everyone's moderately happy, my vocation is secure, and I've got a vacation on the way, ah, now I'm safe and secure. I mean, give me a break, right? We all know how flimsy that really is. It feels real in the moment, but we know not only are we the grass withering and the flower fading, but all of these things of our lives are fading as well. All of these things are fading as well. You are, I am, we are. And certainly if we're fading, that's certainly the truth about these worldly realities around us. Marriages, children, finances, friendships, vocations, nations even. Grabbing on to these things is grabbing hold of fistfuls of sand. They do not have the capacity to fulfill what you need in your life. You need, we need a deeper and larger peace. We need a cosmic peace. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Holy, blameless, above reproach before the throne of the creator of the universe. How could we get there? Through the work of Christ. That's why they put crosses. You know, we got this cross coming down here in the bottom. But they put these, on these pinnacles of churches, they put these steeples and a, a cross on the top to just draw your eyes up. There's something bigger going on. We live our lives looking down at the things around us and consumed, which is partially just the reality of our humanity, consumed with these things around us. And constantly the call from Scripture is to lift your eyes. Look to the places where it truly matters, at the throne of God. Last year, we learned about this game called Othello, uh, thanks to the, the Kellner family, and we got it for Christmas. It's a very simple game, but a very challenging game. If you don't know what it is, it's fine, it's, but it's not. You just basically turn little, it's either white side or black side tokens, two-person game, and the goal is at the end of the game to have your color dominate the field of play. And so you just kind of, I won't go into all the details, but the game is fascinating because of how much it shifts. Like it can be all black color, and then all of a sudden it becomes all, the, all white, and then it, and they just go back and forth in the colors. And if you can get the corners and the edges, if you can get your pieces in the corners and the edges, it doesn't matter what happens in the middle. Because at the end of it all, if you've got the corners and the edges, it's going to, to, to be flipped over to your color. Now, if you don't know Othello, you don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe. But the idea is that there are these places that if you can be secure at the corners and the edges, things flop back and forth all the time. And you don't need to sweat it because you know what your position is. You know that you have the corners, you have the edges. And after all this flip-flopping back and forth, at the end of it all, it will end in your favor because the positions that matter most, you have secured. When it comes to the gospel, the reason why the gospel, with the gospel so big, there's no area that it touches, it's life is much more than a game of Othello, I'll say that. <laughs> but the principle's the same. If you can be secured there before the throne of God, boy, we're gonna have a, we have lots of flip-flopping going on in our lives down here. But if we're secure there, if we can be holy, blameless, and above reproach, righteous in His sight through the work of Jesus Christ, what more could we want for? 
What the gospel gives us is an anchor to ground our hope upon that on the final day, we who are in Christ will stand as holy, blameless, and above reproach, rejoicing for all that Christ has done. And nothing, no amount of shifting in this life, no amount of upside downs that this life produces change that reality, that in Christ, holy, blameless, and above reproach through his work on the cross. Nothing can take that away. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to just rejoice in that. Hearts full of the joy. This life is not mine. Everything is yours. And my comfort is that ultimately I can rest in knowing that I am yours, but not only that, I am yours, and that through the work of Christ, when you see me, when I stand before your throne, holy, blameless, above reproach, no hostility, not because of my effort, not because of my good work, but because of Christ. And if I can stand before you, if I can stand before the judge of the universe and hear forgiven, hear forgotten, hear sins removed as far as the east is from the west, thrown into the bottomless sea, if I can hear that, then all the ups and downs and changes of this life, I can rest in that grand reality. Father, help us to do that and to rest there, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.